Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we speak with Stephen from Flow Healing Arts in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Stephen believes that we are designed to be broken and to heal. To watch the full video of this conversation, please check out the Being Reasonable YouTube channel. I have a belief that my, my work at Flow Healing Arts is really about healing, and it's kind of about curing the incurable, essentially, or healing things that people have been stuck up against for a lot of their lives. So my belief is that... Uh, we are designed to be broken and to heal. It's kind of like a spiritual journey. <laughs> so okay. that's, that is my belief. We are designed to be broken and to heal. That's an interesting belief. Um, I don't think anyone's brought that to the table or anything like that. So let's, let's, I'd like to discuss that. That's really interesting. Um, first of all, on a scale from one to seven, how confident are you that your belief is true? Um, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, seven. Okay. And on a scale from one to seven, <clears throat> how important is it for you to believe in true things? Things are true and real. Things are true and real. Um, yeah. It's that's also a complicated question. Okay. Because in no, in working with clients, I've noticed that. Um, I, I often will give like a piece of advice that sounds the opposite from the one I just gave to the client before, but I notice it's right for the moment. <laughs> okay. Kind of like an oracle kind of thing where you say the right thing, but it may or may not be true, but it helps them on whatever journey that they're trying to go on. Is that well, or it's in being any kind of therapist, you have to kind of mirror back, meet people where they're at at, their, at, this, at whatever level they're at. So not even so far as to say it's not true, but for them it might help them. It's true for them. <laughs> well, how about for you, like the things that you believe in? How important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real? Yeah. That the things that you believe, that they're attached to some reality that that makes. Yeah. Yeah. Seven. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, and the belief is, is that we are designed to be broken, and we are also designed to heal, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yep. And by broken, what do we mean? Yeah, good question. <laughs> by broken, um, I believe that life is a spiritual journey, and we get deeper into knowing ourselves through these wounds we accumulate over our lives. 
So to be broken, that definition could differ for so-and-so. I, I usually consider it some kind of trauma. Yeah. So a trauma that can um, bring awareness to certain areas of life, shake us out of our illusions, cause us to recreate our reality. So we're designed <laughs> to be traumatized? Uh, I think we're designed to be broken. It's not necessarily traumatized. It's like a different... Okay, you just mentioned, I just mentioned trauma. It's just right. It often comes in the form of trauma. Yeah. Or what people call trauma. And often they don't even label it. It's just like a difficult childhood. A difficult, you know... Yeah. Being battered emotionally as a child. Not really considering a trauma because a lot of people just consider that like being physically beaten or something very dramatic. How are we designed to do that? Because I think you mentioned that that it's on purpose. That's the way I hear it. Is that what you mean? I, well, <laughs> sort of. It's a, I like when you reflect the questions of act because <laughs> they're like, they have me think about it from a slightly different angle. <clears throat> and it is a, it is, a, in working with clients for many years, I reached the point where Eventually, when we get to look at their wound from a more spiritual, sort of cosmic, higher perspective, why did this happen to you? Then the healing can actually start. I see. So the idea is when we're, you're saying that we're designed to be broken, you're referring to during the course of the therapy that you do, you're trying to uncover why it is something happened to them. Right, exactly. Okay. And there's never there's never really been an exception. Like <laughs> I don't know anyone that's not that doesn't have any kind of wound they're recovering from. And then I don't know anyone that hasn't yeah. um reached reached higher levels of awareness through this wound. So for me, I, I believe that the world is like a canvas and we paint it with our views. So in some sense, we, I choose some of these beliefs because they align with what I've noticed in the world. And sometimes me choosing this belief is like very healing for people. They, they need to like have someone say, you were, this happened for a reason. Let's unravel what that is. So that's what we're saying. So when people have had trauma, that there is a reason for that trauma. And also, that they're not stuck in the trauma, and you're helping them, and they're helping themselves, presumably, get out of that trauma or heal from the trauma. Right. Yeah. That's that's definitely a piece of it. Right. Okay. How do you know that your belief is true? Uh, from personal experience. Okay. Yeah. Again, I don't. I don't know that. It's hard for me to put belief and truth in the same category. How do you mean? Well, <laughs> like someone who has a certain religion and names God one way, someone who has another religion and names God another way. Yeah. If, if the name changes, is one true and one not? <laughs> that's, what, that's where it gets complicated. Right. <clears throat> and how do you know that they're both pointing, if they're po pointing to the same deity, God figure... Or different ones. Yeah. Although their belief is really more real to them than anything else. Well, for you, you are confident in your belief at a seven, which is high. Mm -hmm. And so it seems when I hear that, 
what I'm hearing is that you have some you have access to some pretty good information that mm -hmm. suggests that your belief is true, mm -hmm. and I would like to learn that information. Like how mm -hmm. how do you know yeah. what? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, partially through testing, I think. Yeah. You know, bringing that belief out into the world, testing, testing. Like I I got that I came upon that belief when I was younger because my mother healed herself. After all the medical model kind of failed, she found a way to naturally heal herself. And I was, it affected my consciousness and that I was like, wow, we're, we're designed to heal. The design to go through the wound thing would happen later. I just knew we were designed to heal because like she'd had all these surgeries, all these drugs, and she was supposed to be in a wheelchair when she was 30. And just this, this fasting and green juice and soups, all that was gone and she was normal. <laughs> like yeah. in like a year I so I was like wow she she got out of the way she literally did very little she did nothing of what was suggested they said and she didn't wind up in the wheelchair so that was sort of a prophecy that proved incorrect and so that's where I started exploring these things yeah. and then so I had that belief and it took a long time before I was willing to bring it to people mm -hmm. because I found the belief itself is healing for them and for me so I had to test it a lot because I'd kind of say it timidly at first. Yeah. What if this happened for a reason? You know, for the first few years of doing it. And then I saw, oh, yes, it definitely did. They, they often clearly know what the reason is. Yeah. And so I think we'll change our stated belief a little bit. And the belief to be more succinct is that everything happens for a reason, and right. especially when it comes to trauma and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean... As I sometimes say, when I broke my neck and I crawled out of the water, and when I crawled out of the water, I no longer believed in accidents. <laughs> so I broke my neck in the ocean oh, once okay. in a big wave. Oh, okay. And um, it just led me to like unravel all these threads in my own life. And that was like, I was an artist before that. Oh, okay. And that was a catalyst onto my healing journey. Oh, interesting. So this thing that there are no accidents. <laughs> so that another, event really changed your life. Yeah. Yeah. Was another phrase that is another phrase that sometimes comes into. Yeah. My vocabulary. So let's say Tommy is sitting next to you. And Tommy, as, as strongly as you feel your belief, Tommy feels his belief. And Tommy's belief is that the world is... So it's basically the opposite of your belief, that the world is chaos. Mm -hmm. And things happen for no reason. Mm -hmm. And that we as humans look to find patterns and we try to make sense of things and mm -hmm. we... And we try to, um, even things that are random, we try to make sense of and try to fit into our storyline. And, and it's basically a different belief than yours, almost the opposite, I'm thinking. And, yeah. and if I'm a third person and I'm hearing you two talk, and I don't really have skin in the game, I just want to believe what's something that's true and real, is there a way I could go about finding out where I should align my beliefs. Uh, if you're comparing two people that seemingly have opposite beliefs. You and Tommy are talking, it seems like you have opposite beliefs and I'm trying to, I would just like to believe in something that's more true and real. And if that's Tommy, I'll go there. And if that's you, I'll go there. And is there a way I can do that if I hear you guys speak? I think so. <laughs> okay. And one way you can do it is, a lot of my work is body-based. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's many ancient traditions where uh, reality is what happens where our body meets the moment. So there's nothing outside of our body, right? 
we are the perceptual tools, you know, reality through your body. Like there's, there's anything out there is kind of conceptualized abstract, let's say. So I think you can, as we learn to discover these resonances in ourselves, you can kind of discover how true resonates for you, how it feels in your body, which is your instrument for perception. Your inst- And it's also a, like in Vipassana and other Buddhist traditions, it's like a spiritual yeah. journey to go into the body, like to those depths. If Tommy does that and he still says, nope, I don't, I don't see it, I'm not... I'm not seeing how things happen for a reason. To me, it just seems like a big tub of chaos. Yeah. Is there a test that you mentioned a test? Is there like a test we could do to kind of figure that out or um, like yeah. how the world is structured? It seems like that that's both you and Tommy have pretty big beliefs in the sense that um, whether things happen for a reason or things happen for you know, basically no reason or, um, there's not much leeway, um, that, that would have a lot of implications of how the world works, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I think so. Yeah. And as far as there being a test, I don't necessarily think there is because I think, uh, humans are (laughs) designed to kind of breathe in and out these ideas and circulate them among, amongst each other. So, uh, I think a culture where everyone had followed this one truth, we've seen glimpses of that historically, <laughs> is not necessarily what we want. Yeah. There are some overlapping beliefs and overlapping structures that allow room for differing beliefs, you know, such as the religious beliefs of and why the country was founded and all that. And in terms of, I mean, I would suggest that resonance thing with you in terms of finding what's true for you, because I think that is the test and it is something you can really refine. Because you know what's true for you, so you know how truth feels for you. And you kind of can, you can run the test of like, what do I know is true for me? You said true for me? Yeah. Um, how do you mean true for me? I'm just seeing where you're coming from. Like, we all have our different truths. Are you, is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, you do the test like, uh, so-and-so loves me, you know, whatever, what, what, whatever your true belief is, that you would be a seven on or higher. <laughs> yeah. That's how you you can sit with that. That's kind of I think what prayer and meditation sometimes is for. You sit with that belief and you see how it feels to kind of marinate in that belief. Can both you and Tommy be correct in the sense that it's your belief is true for you and his belief is true for him that is are both of you correct or is it is it the situation where well it seems that both can't be true at the same time because they're basically opposite yeah. beliefs. I think perception is very complicated. Uh, however, I think they they are both true for us in the moment. <laughs> and that's what if if as I studied like Zen Buddhism and all these things, it's like people are trying to conceptualize all these things and as the student says to the master, like, how many times does Buddha reincarnate? He'd be like, the leaves are red right now, right? Because that's the truth right now. And he's always trying to bring them back into this moment to notice what's going on in the moment. I don't doubt that him seeing the world as chaos in the moment is true. Because he has his own origin story, his own series of events he's gone through. I don't necessarily even think that's... If I think something's wrong or right, then I can't help a person. If Tommy believes that there's 
chaos in the world and that, you know, bad things happen to good people and there's maybe no reason, real uh, uh, reason in the cosmos for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's true or not, does that matter whether he believes it's true or not? Whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter whether he believes it's true or not. I can say it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to make some confusing questions. No worries. Um, <laughs> whether, the, whether things happen for a reason or whether the world is more chaotic, does that matter what we believe about it? Or is that just whatever the world is, the world is? You know, whether it's more of a chaos kind of thing or if it's more... Things happen for a cosmic reason why you someone might have trauma. Is there, does that require our belief? To exist. Does that require a belief for that to either be true or not true? Yeah. It does. Um, <laughs> so there may be, are you asking if there's truths that people don't know or believe yet? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter if we believe it or not, whether yeah. it's true or not. Yeah. The, inter- the interesting thing is, you know, like, at the high point of, like, the golden age of particle physics, <laughs> how they got down to the quark and the smallest elements, and they saw that the, percep- the perception, the observer affected where those were. Mm-hmm. So you could say even scientifically, as you get to the base elements of matter, the observer affects the matter. So two people observing the matter would see different things. They'd see the quark in different places. And so that's kind of an interesting way to think about the question. I think the question involves another question in the sense that um, we we create the world through our perceptions. And so can he look at that quark and can I, and will they, will they appear differently to each of us? I think if we agree on some, like, there are quarks or there are atoms and they look like this, we're kind of at a higher level of abstraction. And there's this basic reality that perception really does affect reality. Well, let's... Um, you've heard this show before, so maybe this won't be such a, a surprise when I grab out the Mentos. And then, um, so maybe this will help me understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, let's say I do have a box of Mentos, not let's say, here it is. <laughs> I have a box of Mentos in front of me. And let's say that there is either an even or odd number of Mentos in the box. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the number is, I presume. You don't know what the number is. Mm-hmm. But... Could it be said that there is an answer to that question that doesn't matter what we believe about it? It just whatever the answer is, the answer is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's probably a certain number in there, um, and it's not. There's a, there's a question of where we put our focus as well. Like for me, it's not that relevant how many are in there, for instance. And similarly, if someone had an opposite perspective of as mine eh, we probably, we might not be crossing paths and i might not be trying to change their mind necessarily which is an interesting way of putting it like if he wanted to explore that worldview my my idea is that that worldview will create a certain series of events and feelings in your life and you're free to go experience those if someone wanted to convince you, wanted to change your worldview in the sense that there was an even number of Mentos and they wanted to change 
your worldview and want you to believe that there is an odd number of Mentos, would that change the truth on that, you think? Well, do, I, do, do either of us know the amount or are we both guessing? <laughs> right. We might not have any idea of what the answer is. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I think with this example, I'm, I'm just trying to understand where you, how you see truth in the sense that if there is an even number and you could convince somebody that there is an odd number and that would make it true, mm-hmm. then that would seem to more closely align with your belief. Mm-hmm. Right. If you could change the number in there, yeah. Well, <laughs> not necessarily. However, um, I, I have a lot of examples about how these things work. Um, sorry, <laughs> you're gonna have a little bump there. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because this, I do spend a lot of time time trying to figure out what this thing called truth is. And I don't really resonate with there being this one truth that we're all trying to tune into. Because if, if I have a conversation with most people for a few minutes, even on scientific topics, <laughs> our idea of what the true numbers are kind of diverges quickly. So that's a good example because that's a very simple um, metaphor for the number of Mentos in the box. And it's not... How is your belief different then that'll help me like how is your belief whether something happens for a reason or things don't happen for a reason and whether there's an even or odd number of mentos in the box maybe help me there like how how is your belief different than the mentos how does it function differently well the (laughs) we we might need to talk about something other than the mentos because i don't uh, I'm not involved in the Mentos conversation, so I wouldn't put much time into that framework in terms of observing what that means. Similarly, I I can see there's a lot of leaves on that tree. However, I wouldn't put time in necessarily counting those leaves. (laughs) And if you thought there were odd number of leaves and I thought there were an even number of leaves, to me, that's kind of an interesting philosophical conversation. And it's kind of abstract and it, it does it pull us closer into the moment into being human (laughs) that's kind of an interesting question i often think about like when do you feel most human and what are you doing because that's that's to me something that a machine would do well and i think there is these days a lot of like pull between being machines and being humans and we're relying on technology in some ways and we're not in other ways and i often contemplate this like what does it mean to be human what's kind of a human belief system what do humans excel at what do machines excel at and I, I just, when I hear you, some of these questions, like a machine would excel at in some ways because they can, because it's binary and they, they're in duality and it's like true or false. And you know that Rumi quote, meet me out in the field beyond right and wrong. Like there's beyond duality where like life actually happens. And that's kind of... Um, it's just a little bit of a segue to like when <laughs> when does one feel most alive? And what's his name? Timothy. <laughs> um, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. <Right. laughs> He's um. There's a lot of people that 
even in like tech careers and machine focused jobs where they're they're kind of labeling everything and that's that's they're labeling everything beyond the necessity of like it being reasonable and everything you perceive is immediately like it's right or wrong it's this or that it's good or bad and that kind of pulls us away from the phenomenon observing and touching and like intimacy and all these things because we're kind of influenced by AI and the machines and the industrial revolution and all this stuff. Um, I'm trying to see where you're coming from. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and so this is where we're having a conversation. It's good. Um, yeah, I think with maybe with a Mentos example, um, more so than right or wrong, I'm, I'm trying to understand how you see something that is true in the world and whether there's something, whether we have like a shared reality. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if there is an odd number of Mentos for me, I'm thinking, and I could be wrong, I'm thinking that, well, there would be an odd number of Mentos for you and there'd be an odd number of Mentos for the person walking down the street and there'd be an odd number of Mentos for someone halfway around the world in that box. And what I think about it just doesn't matter. It's just whatever that number is. Yeah. And I'm trying to see if that's how you see the world or are you seeing it differently? And if you're different, if you're seeing that differently, I want to really try to understand how you're seeing that differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you, <laughs> when you're asking these questions, I, I, I kind of want to reply with like, why do you, why is it important for you to know? It's not important. Okay. Yeah. No, I, but but you seem to have like um, a reason for this inquiry, and I would just turn the question back because that's very, you know, there's a reason you want to um, ascertain what's underlying our shared reality. Whether we have a shared reality, yeah, yeah. And do you want us to have one? Do I want? <laughs> If we have one, I'd like to believe it. And if we don't have one, I'd like to believe that. Yeah, so you're, you're kind of without belief, ideally, until something's proven? I, and are you asking me what would require my belief in that? Well, in general, do you see yourself as kind of like... I would like to have, for the things I like to believe, I'd like to, be, I'd like to have a reasonable amount of evidence for the things I believe. We will continue our conversation with Stephen as he discusses his belief that we are designed to be broken and to heal right after this short break.
you say I'm insensitive to cultures not my own I don't love anyone except for of course Canadians Our love is like true Barrymore Charming in 94 but not so much anymore Over the next few years we've taken paths of least resistance Like Garrett and Garrett in going the distance Though we still watch movies Our flame has demised Like when Henry died of a heart attack in Home Fries Why you say I'm insensitive to cultures not my own I don't love anyone except for, of course, Canadians Our love is like true Barrymore Charming in 94, but not so much anymore Our love is like true Barrymore Our love is like true The things I like to believe, I like to be. I'd like to have a reasonable amount of evidence for the things I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, good. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I feel as well. I feel like I do research things a lot. I, I want to have a reasonable amount of, amount of evidence. The first time I come in contact with something that's kind of challenging to believe, it's like an intuitive hit. So that's where I think the somatic or body-based sensations, like ooh. There might be something true in that. I don't have any evidence yet. I need to go research that more. However, that's using my first hit at something true. <laughs> and then I go back and research more and more and um, see if it corroborates with physical evidence in the world. And um, there's also a lot of, you know, the collective unconscious and Jung's work and such. Like he had this meeting in front of this mural with this woman, and they, they talked all about this mural they had met, like, somewhere in Germany. They were talking about this mural. And then they went home, and they were writing each other letters about this, and they wrote the secretary at the, at the, it was, like, in an old monastery, but where this mural was. She said, there's not a mural here. There's never been a mural here. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting, because they both shared the experience of there having been a mural there. Right. I don't know what you think about Jung, but he, like, writes this in his autobiography when he's older. And for, so for him, it kind of threw up the question, like, what is reality and what is perception? Because they did both share the experience of the mural. They were writing an essay on it, and it didn't exist to this other lady, <laughs> and ostensibly to the rest of the world. Like, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this question. And if someone, and I'm asking you this question with the idea that if someone was sitting in that chair, if Tommy was sitting in that chair instead yeah. of you, and he had his belief that um, the world is basically chaos, and we have things that happen to us, and there's really, there's no true reason for it. Yeah. And... Just like I would ask Tommy that this question, I'd ask ask you this oh, yeah. question. If that wasn't the case, I'm not saying it is, but if it wasn't the case that 
Um, maybe the world is chaotic. And um, would would there be a way to find that out? How could we how could we know that? How could we test between your belief and the opposite of your belief? Is there a way we can objectively test it? Is a or is it is it just going to come down to a gut feeling about it? Do you think? Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I think uh, that other view is the more predominant view. Yeah. Right. That's like most uh, people. Is I would it? say. Okay. Well, to me, in terms of healing, working with people in their healing, um, the belief you just stated is something to me like the medical model, right? So it's the mainstream science in a sense, because your body's kind of a machine. It sometimes falls apart. You sometimes need (laughs) like these sort of mechanical remedies to get it back working enough. Um, And that has certain consequences in our way of life, our way of being, our world that we've created. So um, I think my belief is more, it's more ancient because it was held by ancient cultures. It's not like so much after the scientific revolution. However, I think you can prove that other belief kind of easily (laughs) and not mine, which is sort of interesting. If you want to look at rational tools and scientific inquiry, as there's as they're sort of practiced, which are not always completely. So you're objective. saying maybe Tommy is relying on scientific data data for his belief, and maybe you're relying on I think what you said personal experience was the thing that you were relying on. Yeah. Um, personal experience and um, just this sense of being intuitive and sort of in touch with guidance. <laughs> you could say like divine guidance or whatever you want to call it. Could you be an intuitive person? And start off with that base that that we kind of know this person is an intuitive person, and that person come to a different belief than yours, or oh yeah, oh, I think so. Okay, it's just that's that's the way I come, and also I I love Tommy. Okay, so our different beliefs don't have to come between us, and I think that's where you see the difference between a limiting belief and a um, expansive belief. And I think you know it's likely that Tommy wouldn't love me. So that's that's kind of the interesting thing about... It's likely that Tommy wouldn't love you? Yeah. <laughs> because that because somehow that entrenched view of like uh, everything being rational and provable and verifiable, this other thing is somewhat threatening. So um, I'm just saying it's likely. It's not impossible. If that yeah, were my yeah. brother. However, I met that... Some, no, that I find this very interesting. Like how How is it threatening to Tommy? I just I haven't really given it much thought. How... Everything happens well, for a reason. Think about the, the hashtag like anti-science, right? Oh, because you're – it seems like an anti-science view you're saying? Exactly. Okay. It doesn't seem like it. It is one. It <laughs> because, is an anti-science view. Because like Rudolf Steiner, you know, he tried to make like a spiritual science in the beginning of the century and that's kind of – that's kind of the school my, Waldo, my child goes to, the Waldorf school. That's based on Steiner's teachings. And it's just how do you link – spirituality and science it's like a very ancient thread from like plato and aristotle and the old philosophers the spiritual part's been kind of abandoned for me it's not less valid in fact it's just a missing piece which is why there's like this rift between the non-scientific church and the scientific establishment i think there are a lot of bridges and a lot of ways to connect different belief systems and different ways of being and i think some of these things are kind of been edited out (laughs) through history (laughs) if you want to know the truth Mm -hmm. so we're not allowed really access to like the full 
spectrum of what people have known and what people know. I know because a lot of the healing books I even rely on, I have to go scour through like antique stores and find them for in collector. You know, they're they're kind of not readily available. So I I learn that stuff. I read many 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 books, and a lot of them are about healing and medicine, history of medicine. Tommy doesn't know these things necessarily. So, I, and he so knows other some, things. So you have some special knowledge that Tommy doesn't have access to right. because he's not paying attention to it or he can't absorb it or something. Well, a lot of people came to me from therapists. The therapist said I was incurable. This would take 10 or 20 years. Me not knowing those limitations, it didn't take 10 to 20 years. We was, <laughs> one woman had like traumatic brain injury, been working on it 20 years. Within a few weeks, she was working again. She had been on disability. I didn't. I wasn't encumbered by those like those diagnoses and those that that way of being that kind of put her into this box where she was diagnosed as something broken in the sense that it can't even be fixed. It can only be treated forever. So sometimes, like a a belief system is limiting. That's kind of a fascinating, you know, a belief system or even a set of facts that yeah. you re- revolve a belief system around. Yeah, I see facts that. <laughs> because. You know, because what I'm saying, like, she was not incurable, so that whole system's wrong. If I go say, this system's messed up, nobody's really going to listen. That's anti-science. Though, to me, she had a much better result seeing, like, leading this inquiry, seeing where traumas were trapped in her body, like, and just... Is there something that, it seems like you have a very strong belief in this, that things happen for a reason when it comes to trauma and healing, I know you're already at a seven. Is there a way we could make you more confident in the belief? Even I know we're at the top of the scale. What would what would show, what would come along and show you that this belief? I thought it was as confident as I could be about anything. And this, yeah. what would make me even more confident? What would make you more confident in that this belief is true and real? Yeah. Is there something? Um, what would make me more <laughs> confident that the belief is real? The interesting thing is um, I'm willing to change the belief if other evidence comes up. So it's not like a lifelong belief necessarily. Okay. Like if if another thing comes up, I'm like, oh, that, you know, either the world, because I don't think things stay the same forever either. Like what if there's a a change of planetary alignment, (laughs) culture, things that were once true or even true for a thousand years are now not. So I often look at that belief, and every time I see a client, a new client, I kind of question it again. It just keeps getting proven. (laughs) Uh, So I was asking you what would make you more confident, and I think the way you were answering it, you are saying what would make you less confident. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because like Nietzsche said, conviction is a more dangerous enemy than falsehood, a more dangerous enemy to truth, and I think that's true. I think conviction can be very dangerous because you're no longer seeing the world. Well, then let's take your perspective then. What would make you less confident in the belief? Like what would come along in you, in, in, whether in your practice or in just walking around in life, that you'd say, huh, you know, and wouldn't necessarily give you from a 7 to a 0, maybe like from oh, yeah. a 7 to a 6.9. Yeah. I mean, is there, we're not talking about for a huge adjustment, just is there certain things that would come along that would change your confidence, confidence yeah. in the belief? I wonder. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I was thinking, like, would a string of calamities or people going off course in my life or, like, going deep into depression, you know, for whatever reason? Because 
for now I have a lot of tools to deal with those things so those aren't really an imminent threat so I wonder if they became an imminent threat would that change it I don't necessarily know the answer I don't think so though <laughs> because I think the belief is what buffers me against some of this chaos you know maybe if there was like a world war and I was like oh this you know maybe if something happened externally that was so dramatic that I didn't have uh, the resources to really so you're saying aside from a belief. world war it would probably be kind of hard for you to get from a 7 to say like a 6.9 in the belief yeah I mean maybe maybe between a, a 6 and a 7 is where I can be generally you know because there's times I can be like oh this is difficult or even like between a 5 and a 7 okay working with a difficult client I'm like oh man this if this doesn't hold true in all these instances it doesn't hold true usually how I rationalize that is I just don't know all the pieces and usually once the piece falls into place then I'm back at that belief again <laughs> I see so you haven't come across a client yet that is truly questioned your belief in the belief because it seems like there's either it works or there's a piece missing that you don't know and if you knew that piece it would work is that well they all they all question it <laughs> they all question the belief initially they're just there because they're in some kind of suffering. They want to get out of it. So you present to them, a you way present them to the belief <laughs> that everything happens for reason, whether they have the belief. Right. And I don't present them. The interesting thing is I don't present them with the belief. Uh, I demonstrate the belief to them. And the way we do this is through their own body. So like I said, the body is your framework for all life experience. And like, and my site says, informed touch and compassionate inquiry. We touch in certain areas and we ask certain questions and see what arises. If Tommy was your client, yeah. and we know Tommy's views, and Tommy doesn't come around, what would we say about Tommy at that point, do you think? Yeah. Well, Tommy wouldn't probably be my client unless he, unless he like lost a loved one or had some sort of deep trauma. And this is how trauma can be transformational. Because... I can literally see Tommy, and <laughs> Tommy will eventually go through some trauma that has him question and reconsider these belief systems. And so that's, um, I have a, like a pretty long questionnaire and a buffer to, if, if you're not really ready to do it, then don't come do it, because my time is precious, your time is precious. So it's just, there's not, if there's not a resonance, we won't go on that journey yet. And then when there is, we will. So that's, us meeting in that capacity is not really <laughs> likely to happen because there's there's plenty of people that are right on the nine out of ten of readiness. You know, there's almost like a huge percentage of the population like right on the edge of like breaking through and healing. Could you? Is it possible to heal mm -hmm. in the sense that you're talking about healing and not have the belief? Um, <laughs> it, that's an interesting question. That's like the. Uh, the question I sometimes wonder. So I think the the framework of the belief, which is demonstrated, it kind of surfaces in them naturally. Like when we clear some of the traumas from the body, let's say like something happened to you and you're knotted here, you're like, you're knotted here. We clear that, more energy can flow. And in this flow state, there's like a, a feeling of being more human. And there's certain... There's certain um, qualities that accompany this this experience when when they kind of get up and they're awake and their eyes are shining and it's like a greater capacity to love and be loved and more joy is is like a natural 
resonance. Now, sometimes people start to feel those and they're like, ooh, I want more of this. So they kind of align their beliefs so they can stay in that state. So anything that's like antithetical to like human, the human architecture, let's say, will pull them back down to where they were. So they're kind of like, they get this glowing state and they're like, ooh, I want more of this. Like, and then they start to experiment in their mind how they can stay there. So we know how staunch Tommy is in his belief. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's not um, going to change. Yeah. Are we saying we're having pity at, on Tommy at this point? Because if he does have trauma, and I think it's fair to say that if you live long enough, you're going to have trauma in your life, right? Yeah. Um, that whatever trauma he has, that he's kind of unfortunately stuck with that trauma because he doesn't, he's not going to shake his belief. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt it. <laughs> you doubt what? I doubt he's going to be stuck in that, that long because that, that is painful. You know, so like Anais Nin said, the the flower stays in the bud until it's too painful not to be the flower, then it breaks open. And that's kind of, there's just this accumulation of like that being an unsustainable condition. And I think the best remedy for Tommy, and I have... Well, let's suppose that he does, we've all known people who just won't change their views and Tommy's happens to be one of them. Yeah. And I guess we're saying not only is he stuck in his belief mindset of... Uh, the opposite of whatever the opposite of things happen for a reason yeah that whatever trauma he's experienced he's sort of going to be wallowing in that trauma um because he just can't we just can't get him there is that you think (laughs) well i'm asking i mean i i literally can't put that belief that someone won't transform on someone even an imaginary person because that's that's a judgment that that closes in their reality and if, if um, we carry that towards loved ones or even strangers, then that, that makes him more likely to cons- carry on in that scenario. The best situation for Tommy is if someone can love him unconditionally, like the way he is. And if someone can do that, some of that will start to release by itself. Okay. I'm trying to see how someone loving you unconditionally, how that relates to whether things happen for reasons or things happen for no reasons, you know? It doesn't. It's a separate inquiry. Okay. Loving someone unconditionally, if they're, quote, unquote, um, have this blockage or they can't open up or they're, like, crippled with trauma forever. Like, anything that's future-based is kind of a thought distortion. They will never open up. We got to come to ourselves and be like, they could. What if they're on their deathbed and they open up in the last moment? We've, We've judged them for 50 years for no reason. So... I just hesitate to hang that label on. And so that belief, my belief is that they will open up. So maybe that's where it links to these things happen for a reason. Because we are designed to be, (laughs) to go through the wound and to come out the other side like transformed. That's another way of thinking about it. So I don't think you can get out of it. How we can, (laughs) could we believe that the world is chaotic and, um, yet still heal from wounds? Or is that not possible? Uh, Some kinds of wounds. I think, you know, it's the predominant view now, right? So look at cancer and heart disease. They're the predominant diseases in our culture. Okay. So if you you start to change that predominant view, those, (laughs) those predominant diseases start to change. Those are very much linked to, like, uh, being chronically judgmental, not allowing like love to flow 
and also like physical poisons and eating non-foods, which come from like not being in tune with what feels good in our bodies. So again, like not being embodied, which is kind of the opposite of the machine thing. So I think like if you look at the just evidence of what's going on in the world, you can correlate that viewpoint with what's going on because it's the predominant viewpoint. If you have the predominant, the predominant consequences, that's what those are. And also to harp on medicine <laughs> again, it's like, that's the, that's the remedy for that viewpoint. I don't want to deal with my, my deep, dark shadows. I want to take this pill right now that like stuffs it down a little more so I can go on for today. And that just never works. And it even, you know, I don't know that it's even designed to work because they don't, healing's not in that system. It's a treatment system. So it's just interesting that I always have people that come out of like 10 or 20 years in that system, like probably worse off than they went in, you know, and then they come out and they're like, oh, I'm ready to actually heal. And in my belief system, that progression was necessary for them. Similarly with my mother, she went through that and she came out. So for me, that's like an archetypal early experience. It's hard to get it out of my, <laughs> out of my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, so you mentioned that like an, you had early, some early experiences that formed how you see the world in yeah. this way. Which I think we all do, right? Sure, yeah. sure. Well, maybe, let's, I know this is a hypothetical, but let's say that you didn't have those early experiences and you just hadn't given it much thought. Do you have a preference of how you'd like the world to work, that things happen for a reason or that there's more chaos in the world do you have a preference that or does it not matter to you and you've just sort of arrived at this belief because of the experiences that you've had yeah uh do i have a preference if you're just coming to it for the first time yeah yeah i think we want to we want to make meaning out of the world and it's like the world is a quest for we are meaning makers and we come into this world yeah. kind of like as a little bit of a like I said, an empty canvas with what we have as our palette and we start to make the meaning. So yeah. uh, I would prefer a meaning that uh, feels empowering, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I don't think that's just um, semantic trickery. I think a lot of high achievers, they found a way to create an empowering world for themselves and that's how they were high achievers. Like mm -hmm. for them, life is for this. My life is to play basketball. My life is to lead the country. My life is to do this, right? Not me, but I'm just saying, these are belief systems that people who are high achievers live around, or Picasso's an artist. He's not, he's not all these other things, and so he's like a household name. If this belief happened to not be true, and I'm not the arbiter of truth, I'm just saying if it happened not yeah. to be true, would your life change? Would you be a different person? Would you be the same person? Would you work in the same field? Would you work in a different field? How would your life change, do you think? Yeah. Um, I think it would just change gradually over the course of some time. I wouldn't make like radical upheavals because there's space in my life for things to be different. Like I say, I do a, a few different things and I kind of go to them at different points. And so it wouldn't... Um, a lot of times I have these shifts inwardly and Jung says every seven years you'll have like a big shift, essentially. And that's kind of correlated with what <laughs> I've noticed. It's not necessarily my firm belief. I can't prove it. Um, so I think I'd, I'd have to wait and see how that belief kind of belief change altered my world. I wouldn't likely the healing thing I can't necessarily get out of. Because if you put me at a bus stop with someone, it comes up. It's like 
it's like around me. So if people, yeah, I'm in a store, it comes up. People are like, why did they tell you that? They like, the husband will be like, they never told me any of that. It's like I've known them for 30 years. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just sitting here and. So if we found out tomorrow that there was no higher reason uh, for certain traumas to happen to certain people, that you would still help people. I mean, that would be, that's you're saying who you are, and you'd still be try to heal people. Yeah, I think so. Because I hear them, I hear people phrase things in such a way that keeps them stuck. A lot of what we we do is with language. So, like, even if you say I have cancer, you, you you're adopting that as part of your personality, as part of your identity. That's a very profound adoption. When we get stuck in a belief, yeah. Why do you think we get stuck? Well, because we want to identify with things. So we we. We want to have, like, even when you have, you think you have disease and you go online, you look at the symptoms, it lists the symptoms. Sometimes you'll just have one of those symptoms, but, oh, I have this disease now. You'll, like, manifest some of the other symptoms. And you'll, you'll have a little bit of a sense of community and belonging, paradoxically, because you don't really want the disease, but now you have a framework through which to view the world. You can search for treatments. You can talk to other people who have it. So you, I think we want to be connected to people through these shared belief systems like you're talking about. And this is one that we choose sometimes. Makes sense. So you're saying that when we get stuck in a belief, there are primary reasons we get stuck in a belief. And one is identity um, yeah. with the belief or identity with a group of people who share the belief. Yes. Or uh, identity with what the belief means about who I am as a person, maybe? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or maybe... Um, then how do, we, how do we get people out of that? Like, you know, Tommy, let's say Tommy believes his belief, which is the opposite of your belief. He believes his belief because he has a... Let's say he identifies as a scientist and he's a community of scientists. He's right. around and, <laughs> and he helps people. In, he, he helps people... Let's say he's in a helping profession and he helps people in a scientific way. How, how, how can we go about helping him realize that the belief might not be true? Yeah. Um, if he's stuck in a limiting belief. I think that sometimes you can appeal to something that's kind of near their belief system. So I think the cognitive behavioral therapy... It has these 10 cognitive distortions. And if you start to point those out to people, those are very tried and true, and they're kind of in, in the tradition. And if you start to look at those within yourself, because chances are this person who's maybe... So he addresses just, biases, yeah. that he has uh, intrinsic biases that he has, and um, yeah. with those distortions, he could have like an all-or-nothing beliefs or whatever it yeah, is exactly. that he has. And we could help him see any biases that he has that are making his belief more entrenched. Yeah, exactly. I think so. Yeah, so my passion is around people's beliefs that are fundamentally make a difference in their lives. And so that's why um, sometimes there's a lot a lot at stake, a lot in the balance. So people are more compelled to look deeply at themselves. And that's kind of, those are the conversations that I think are interesting in the world and that change the direction of individuals and therefore society and therefore the broader context of humanity. So that's uh, what, what I love about this work and having these conversations. From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? 
Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week. Sunlit